Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn back to the book of Nehemiah. And we are in chapter 13. We are getting close to the end of this wonderful book as we've studied through it for much of this year and uh, planning one more sermon next week in the book of Nehemiah as the Lord leads. And uh, I have uh, believed the there's a, another message that I'd like to share with you from this wonderful book of the Bible. But last week, as we began looking at chapter 13, we looked there at the first part of the chapter where even though the children of Israel had made promises to God to be faithful, to follow His Word, to reinstate the worship of God as it should be taking place in the temple, it wasn't long after Nehemiah left, after he had been the governor for some 12 years after he left, that the high priest invited a, a friend, perhaps maybe even a distant relation, to move into the temple. And this was a man by the name of Tobiah. Tobiah was, while he may have been a friend, while he may have been a family member, Tobiah was a man that did not want to follow God. He was a man that did not want to do things that were positive for the people of God. Rather, he was an enemy of God's people. But through the relationship, he was invited to move into the temple. And so the place that had been designated for the offerings and for the special gifts that the people were to bring to God, that place was no longer being used for those offerings. Now it was being used as a place for Tobiah to live. So... One of the results of this was that the worship of God began to suffer because instead of there being a good place for the offerings to be put, now there wasn't a good place. And so people uh, quickly stopped giving their offerings. And as people stopped giving their offerings, then, as we'll read this morning in verse 10, then the Levites and the other people who were gathered together to help assist in the worship of God, they would provide the music, they would provide the workers in the temple. They would provide a lot of the things that went into making the worship possible. As they no longer had the income from the offerings, they went back to their fields to go start farming again, taking care of their things. Again, something that we would say they weren't doing anything wrong by taking care of their families and themselves. They had to eat. They had to take care of themselves. And yet, I think we see as the people failed to keep their promises to God as they allowed sin into the temple and as they uh, allowed the worship of God to suffer, there was a series of unintended consequences that took place. And as we look at this chapter again this morning, I want us to really focus on that idea of unintended consequences because I think there are times in our life that we make choices that in the moment we think, there's nothing wrong with this choice. Perhaps it may even seem to be the right choice in any given situation, yet our choices have consequences. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes they're good consequences, sometimes they're bad consequences, and we don't always have the ability to know every consequence, future consequence, for a present decision that we make. Young people make decisions about where they're going to go to college or what they're going to do for a career or who they're going to marry. And we talk about how important those decisions are because they are. Why? Because those decisions will have consequences for the rest of their life. That's why when young people, we often hear things about, you know, not doing drugs or not drinking or not 
doing things like that because there's all kinds of consequences. Some of them unintended consequences. And yet, truthfully, that kind of consequence and, or action and reaction, those things never cease. It doesn't matter whether you're 2 or 22 or 82. There are always consequences for our choices. And here in chapter 13, we see the people of Israel begin to make decisions and then to suffer the consequences of those decisions and Nehemiah then trying to bring them back to God. So if you will, in your Bibles, look at verse number 10. I want to begin reading there this morning. Nehemiah says, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries, Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe. And of the Levites, Padiah next to him was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah. For they were counted faithful. And their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. I think the book of Nehemiah teaches us something very important, that sometimes it's easier to rebuild a wall that will stand strong than it is to build people that will remain strong. It's easier to build something physical than it is to build something spiritual. It's easier as a man or a woman to go and work at your career, perhaps, and to advance there than it is to come home and to raise your children to follow God. It's easier to even come to church, perhaps, and participate in a Christmas program or participate in an outreach at, at, the, at the Mirabella apartment complex than it is to go home and live faithfully and obedient and be patient and loving and kind and forgiving and all of that, isn't it? It's easier sometimes for us to put on the outward show and to build up what other people think of us than sometimes it is for us to build up our inside and to do what is really right. It's one thing... For It was one thing for Nehemiah to organize the people so that they could rebuild the wall. It was another thing entirely for him to help to rebuild the spiritual nature of the people. As Nehemiah was working with the people of Israel, he came into this desperate situation where their walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire he organized the people. He brought in materials, supplies, energy, a plan to get it done. He began this work with great passion and energy to fulfill the purpose that God had given him. And we know this to be true. Great leadership is important in getting things done, right? But what do we do when the leader is gone? For the children of Israel, Nehemiah stepped out of the picture for a little while. And the people did not fare well. 
Was Nehemiah the catalyst for getting the work of God done with the people of Israel? We would say, yes, he was. But should it always be that way? These people were weak and they did not fulfill God's work unless they had someone to continue to point the way forward for them. One of the reasons we want people to get together and study God's Word together with each other is not that we don't value preaching. It's not that we don't value teaching in a corporate sense, but that I believe that every person has a personal responsibility to have a walk with God themselves that is dependent on no one else but God and God alone. And to develop that kind of personal relationship with God takes time, it takes effort, it takes discipline, and all of those things don't come easily, do they? It takes a lot of work to do that. But see, as Tobiah had been allowed back into the temple, as the giving had fallen off, the worship of God was no longer going forward like it should. The people had failed to keep their promises. The temple was no longer being used for its intended purposes. You see, the people began to make choices that put themselves ahead of God's plan. The high priest says, you know what, we got a little space over here. I'll invite Tobiah to live in the temple. Right or wrong? Well, you could look at it from two perspectives, right? If you had a family member, a friend in need, and you could give them a place to stay, wouldn't you say that you ought to give them a place to stay? I think we would all say yes. But in this case, this is an enemy of God and His people. Should He have given them a place to stay in the temple? No, He shouldn't have. But because He made the choice to do that, then the people stopped to give as they should. Now, was that an excuse for them to stop giving? Yes, but was that a valid excuse for them to stop giving? No. Just because the priest didn't, did wrong was not an excuse for the people to do wrong. And yet, sometimes that's how we live, isn't it? Well, I know I shouldn't have done that, but this person that I looked up to failed me. And so, because of that, I ended up making a bad choice too. We make excuses for it. Unintended consequences. Because of that, as the giving ceased, the Levites, the scribes, these other people that were participating in the worship and helping to lead the worship, they now go back to take care of their families. Again, is it wrong to take care of your family? No, we absolutely should take care of our families. But in so doing, the worship of God did not go forward as it should. As one person made a bad choice, it now made it harder for the other people to make the right choice, and those people under pressure also made the wrong choice. There was a domino effect taking place here. When we no longer use something for its intended purpose, it very quickly loses its value. Think about this. The temple was losing its value. The people were no longer giving to it. They were no longer coming together to worship in it. Why? Because they made a choice to use it for something other than its intended purpose. They were using it as housing instead of as a place for worship. The temple was to be used for the worship and glory of God. But when it became housing for the enemy, the worship of God suffered and the people stopped giving. Remember last week we talked about how we don't have a temple made with hands that we come to worship in. Rather, we are the temple that the Holy Ghost dwells within. But I would say the same is true for us. God created us 
to glorify Him. He says to glorify Him even with our bodies. So when we don't honor God with our bodies or with our time, with the things that God has given us, we lose our value as well. When we no longer use our bodies to glorify God, it cheapens our values. And just pause for a moment and think about the state of the culture of the world that we live in. I would tell you there is less and less value placed on human life as people no longer seek after God. That's why we live in a nation where, sadly, every day, there are many, many, many unborn who lose their lives because their life isn't as important as the life that is giving that new life. And so that's the excuse. Well, I'm just not prepared to bring this life into the world. Or this isn't a good time for me. Or something bad happened to me, and because of that, I can't take care of this new life. Now, while all those things may be true, you may not be financially prepared. You may not be emotionally prepared. You may have had something bad happen to you that makes it very difficult to do so. And yet, I would say, based on Scripture, there is great value in human life. The value of that unborn child is just as important as the value of the mother giving birth to that child. Just as important as the value of the father of that child. And we know in many of those circumstances, the father may be nowhere to be found. As a society, this is an awful problem. This is an issue. And while this is not the main thrust of the message this morning, I think it's very important that we consider how we use our bodies and how we take care of what God has given us. Because if we don't take care of it in a way that is in line with God's Word, it actually reduces our own value. Unintended consequences. I don't think that any person goes into life thinking, well, in my life I want to do all these bad things to myself. People don't plan to do that. And yet, people do bad things to themselves. I don't think children in children's church this morning are plotting out ways that they, after children's church, can go out and harm other people. And yet people harm other people. Why does this happen? Well, it's because of sin, of course. But as sin is allowed into our lives and sin is allowed into the places even of worship, those things, the, the human being, the, the human value is reduced. And what is happening here with the nation of Israel is they've allowed sin into the temple. The worship of God begins to falter and to fail. And pretty soon the temple even itself loses its value. Those people that wanted to give to the temple no longer want to give. The people that used to serve in the temple no longer serve in the temple. And little by little, they lose everything that they once had. Now, If you go back just a few chapters you can read how the children of Israel made great promises to God. If you go back, I believe it's in chapter 10, they made a promise. They said, we will not forsake the house of our God. What happens a few chapters later, it says that verse 39 of chapter 10, the very end of that verse, they said, we will not forsake the house of our God. Now here it is three chapters later, and they have forsaken the house of their God. Unintended 
consequences. They had made a promise also in verse in chapter 10 that they would pay the temple tax. They made a promise that they would bring wood for the altar. They made a promise that they would bring the required tithes and offerings to the priests and Levites. But without the faithful support of the people, the ministry at the temple would languish. Levites scattered back to their villages where they could work the land and survive. Notice again back in verse 10 of chapter 13. He says, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. This is how I, I, I wrote this point out, this first point. I said it this way, individual choices affect more than just the individual. Sometimes we think, well, this is my choice, and it may be. Just know your choice affects more than just you. And it may affect you in a way that you don't intend it to affect you. So that's scary then. <laughs> How do I make choices? I, I don't want any responsibility then. Think about it. The priests let the enemy move in. The people did not keep their promises to give. The Levites then didn't receive their financial portion. And the house of God was forsaken. The sin of one encouraged the sin of many. The unfaithfulness of one encouraged the unfaithfulness of many. Just as the faith of one can inspire faith in others, so the wrong choices of one often influence the wrong choices of others. You see that in life, right? Parents and have faith and follow God can have a great influence for their children to have faith and follow God. And yet, children, I was a youth pastor long enough to know this, and I've been a dad long enough to know this, children often turn out like their parents, for better or for worse. And it's kind of hard as a parent, isn't it, sometimes, to look at your kids and you're frustrated with something that they're doing wrong or something that they're dealing with, and then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you realize why they're doing things the way they're doing them. It's hard to admit that sometimes, isn't it? We could not have done that. Now, I realize every child has their own free will. They make their own choices. And, and so, as a parent, it's wrong, I think, to carry the burden of, well, my child failed at life, and so I must have just failed them as a parent. Well, that's not always the case, is it? And yet, as parents, it is very important that we take our responsibility seriously that there are consequences for our choices, even though they may be unintended. When the people did not fulfill their promise to support the temple financially and physically, it ended up that the spiritual worship of God was greatly hindered. Your actions do not take place in a vacuum. Your choices affect other people. You can't assume that your bad choice will only affect yourself. So parents, choose wisely. Young people, choose wisely. Spouses, husbands, wives, choose wisely. Church family, choose wisely. Many of you have been in church long enough to know this. I know I have been in church long enough. To know this, sometimes people in a church family make a choice to do something and they think, well, I know this isn't what everybody else would do. I know people may not agree with me, but I'm going to do this anyway because it's my life. I'm going to live how I want to live. And they have no idea how that choice affects the other people. You know, there's always people looking up to you. 
It doesn't matter who you are. If you're here this morning, there's somebody that's paying attention to you. You say, really? I thought nobody cared about me. Nobody paid attention to me. No, somebody's paying attention to you. Even the five-year-olds in our church, somebody's paying attention to them. It's amazing. I've grown up in, my, in church my whole life. I wasn't born at church, but I got here about as quick as I could after being born, at least as quick as my parents could get me to church. And I remember from the littlest times in Sunday school looking up to those bigger kids. Boy, when I was in the four-year-old class, I thought those sixth graders were just huge. Now you look at the sixth graders and you say, oh, they're still so little. But they are really big to those four-year-olds. And I think about that when I'm sitting here with Caden on a Sunday morning who's four years old. And I know he's looking at those big kids. Because when you're four, everybody seems big. And adults, this is a good thing also for you adults. For four-year-olds, you all look the same age to them. It's pretty true. It doesn't matter whether you're 22 or 82, a four-year-old thinks you're all the same age. We proved that at least with Caden recently. This past year on Father's Day, Shandy did an interview with Caden. And it was an interview about me and then an interview about my dad. Of course, we're both here this morning, so this is fun. The first question was, how old do you think Grandpa is? How old do you think Caden thought Grandpa was? Ten years old. Because to Caden, ten is the biggest. You have no more fingers after ten. There's no way you can get older than ten. So that should make you feel good. If you're older than ten this morning, as I think pretty much everybody in this room is, that should make you feel really good about yourself. That Ladies have been worried about passing 29. Don't worry, ladies. In Caden's mind, you're ten. Okay? Some ladies say, well, I'm 30. No, you're 10. Okay? <laughs> Grandpa is 10. Then the question was, how old is Daddy? Guess how old I was. 10. We're the same age. I don't know if that should make me feel good or Dad feel good or both of us feel bad. I don't know. But that was just an interesting little one-off survey. I realize different kids might give different answers at different ages and all those things. But... I think it is kind of representative of the truth is this. We all have people looking at us. And we have people thinking about what we're doing. And I, I think especially in a church body, that ought to encourage us about the choices that we make. The people of Israel were looking to the priest. And the priest made a choice to choose family and, and relationship over the worship of God. The people said, well, we'll choose the same thing. The Levites said, we'll choose the same thing. We're not going to sacrifice, stay in the temple. If there's no offerings here for us, we're going to go choose family as well. And they went back. Very quickly, the worship of God ceased. So what did Nehemiah do about this? You can see in verse 11 what he did. He said, then contended I with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Remember, they promised not to forsake the house of God. And he gathered them together and he set them in their place. It's 
important, just thinking of this process. He brings the people back together, he brings the leaders back together, and he puts each person back in their place. I think it's just a very simple application, but very true. All of us have a place in God's Word. And when each person is in their place, sometimes we say, you've got to be in your spot, in your pew. You know, if you're not there, you're missed. If you're not serving in your place, you're missed. If you're not faithful to do what you have to do that God's given you to do, you are missed. And it's easy sometimes, I know, to feel like, well, I don't, I don't know that anybody would miss me. No, these people were missed. See, it just starts with one person making a choice this way. Well, I'm not going to do this, and it's not a big deal. It won't affect that many people. But then pretty soon when somebody else makes the same choice, and then somebody else, now it's affected everybody. Nehemiah brought the people back together. He set them in their place. Notice as the people came back to their right places of work, Verse 12, then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries. We see now the domino effect going the other way. As Nehemiah puts people in the right place, now all the people came and started giving back to the work. Isn't that interesting? It's not like there was an economic downturn or something here. It's not like they had money and then they didn't have money. They had the same amount all along. It's just where it was going. It wasn't being used for God's work. It was going wherever it was going. And so now when Nehemiah puts things back in order as it should be, as he says, no, get this evil man out of the temple. Let's make space for God's offerings. Let's bring the people back to serve where they need to serve. Now, once again, the people begin to give again. God's problem is never a shortage of finances. Because he has all of the finances. In fact, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Truthfully, he owns the cattle on all the hills. And all the gold in every mine, it's all his. But God works through his people. And these people came back and they got in their place and they began to give once again. And then notice as he continues on with this organization, verse 13, and I made treasurers over the treasuries. He's putting the people in their place, right? The Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Pedaiah, and next to him was Hanan, the son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah. Notice what was key about these people in their place. For they were counted faithful. Over in the New Testament, the Bible says it this way, For it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The reason they were able to serve in their place and stay where they needed to stay and be a help to the worship and service of God was because they were faithful. That's encouraging to me because sometimes we feel like, well, I don't know how much help I can be because I don't have this talent or that talent. I don't have this money or I, I don't have this ability. Whatever. We start coming up with reasons for why we aren't as helpful as we think we should be. But what God asks from us is not that we have all the talent in the world. It's not that we can sing better than anybody else. It's not that we have all of our free time lined up. You know, people are like, well, I'm just busy. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Welcome to the club. Everybody's busy, right? I haven't met a single person who's not busy 
Uh, everybody busies themselves with something. Nehemiah finds people that are faithful. And that's what God wants from us. Faithful. You may not be able to do as much as somebody else, but that's okay. Be faithful. You may not have as much talent as somebody else. That's okay. Be faithful. We often fall into the trap of comparing ourselves with other people. Well, I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good of a... I, I could never do what these men did and talk about that because I, I'm not very good at studying the Bible. I could never go tell somebody about Jesus like Brother Brad tells us and teaches in his class because... I'm just not very good at that, or I, I'm afraid to do that. I could never get up and sing or play an instrument like Brother Lewis does because I'm just not as talented. You know, we have all these things. That's okay. We don't need all of you up here to play an instrument. If we did, it would look really funny on Sunday morning when we had a visitor walk in, right? And the whole church is up here on the stage. Like, these people are weird. They think that enough already. We don't need to give them any more excuses, okay? Every person in their place serving faithfully. That's what God asks from us. And that's what Nehemiah did with these people as he found the faithful people, put them in their place, and notice he says, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. They took care of one another. They met the needs of each other. It's not, and their office was to take care of themselves. No, it was their office was to take care of the needs of their brethren. To take care of one another. And that's the beautiful thing about being a part of the body of Christ when the body is functioning like it should because it takes care of the other parts of the body instead of just taking care of itself. And when each person takes care of someone else, it works a lot better than when each person takes care of themselves. Because someone else often can help take better care of you spiritually than you do for yourself at times. I'm thankful for people. I, I've had some people, even this past week, call me up and say, Now, we're praying for you, but you really ought to think about this. I said, Well, thank you. That's helpful. It was. Because we can get locked in on something or, you know, kind of narrow-minded in an area and having somebody else. I'm thankful for people that can speak truth into my life. Kind of like a good coach, right? We all need a good spiritual coach who's willing to come and look us in the eye and say, you really ought to do this. You really ought to stop doing that. You really need this in your life. Because it's hard for us to look ourselves in the mirror sometimes to do that. And not only does a good coach look you in the eye and tell you what you need to do, then the good coach will come alongside and say, and here's how I think I could help you do that. And guess what? I'm going to check up on you to make sure you keep doing that. A good coach doesn't just tell his team, go practice. A good coach is at the practice showing the team how to do it and directing them. Nehemiah set everybody in their place. He found faithful people, and he had people that ministered one to another. And so then Nehemiah's statement in verse 14 is this. Remember me 
O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. Nehemiah prays, he cries out to God and he says, God, please remember what I've done here. I've put the people in their place. I've done the work so that God, the worship of God would go forward as it should. God, remember me so that these people would continue to stay faithful to do what I've asked them to do. I understand Nehemiah's heart. His burden here is just like yours. It, it may be the same prayer that you cry out to God. God, please remember all of those times I did this for my children or this for my grandchildren, that they would remember to stay faithful and that they wouldn't walk away and act like I haven't ever done anything for them. We know as a parent perhaps what that feels like sometimes. We have a lot of teaching to do in our, with our children and one of sometimes a very difficult time of the year can even be this time as, we, uh, as many will give gifts to one another. Have you ever had your child be frustrated with the gift that you gave them because it wasn't the gift that they wanted? Oh, more socks. I wish people would actually spend some real money on me. Buy me something expensive. You know, better yet, just give me money. So I'll buy what I want for myself. How sad that that's what we've reduced gift giving to. Because it's not about just what's given. It's about the heart of the person who's giving it, right? We sometimes look at God's gifts that way too, don't we? God, I don't like this situation that you gave me to live in. God, I don't like the place that my job is in. God, I don't like the place that my relationships are in right now. God, why don't you give me something better? I think the Bible says it this way. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. I think the Apostle Paul wrote this from a prison cell... I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We're not happy with the gifts. And unhappiness with the gifts demonstrates a discontentment with the giver of the gift. Nehemiah was crying out to God, saying, God, help these people to stay faithful. Remember what I've done for them. God, help them to remember their promises that they made to you. So first he went to the temple. He saw the issues. He saw the Tobiah in the temple. He got him out. He saw that the giving was stopped. He organized the people. He reinstated the place where they could give. The people brought the gifts. The worship is going forward, but now... Nehemiah, after he's visited the temple, Nehemiah decides to go out for a walk in the, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day and see what was taking place outside of the temple. And unfortunately, what was going on outside the temple was just as bad as what was going on inside the temple. And it says that in verse 15. In those days saw I in Judah 
some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So, is it wrong to press your grapes? Is it wrong to, you know, to gather in your sheaves? Is it wrong to do all these things? No. But God had been very specific with His people. When He said, as you remember several, a little while back, we learned the Ten Commandments together. The Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And instead of keeping it holy, keeping it sanctified, keeping it set apart for God, they were using it as another day for themselves. The things they were doing, not wrong. The problem was not what they were doing, it was when they were doing it. When we make choices, we have to think about the consequences. And one of the ways to make a right choice is be careful about what we do. Make sure it's okay with God's work. Also be careful about when we do it. There's a time and a place for everything. The book of Ecclesiastes teaches us that. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to rejoice. There's, there's a time for everything. I think that's one of the things that, as a parent, I, I try to spend a lot of time helping my children to learn. It's okay to run and laugh and, and be crazy, but don't do it when you're supposed to be sitting in church, right? Just pay attention, listen, sit still, behave. There, there's a time to wrestle and to throw balls and to do all those things. And then there's a time to sit still and pay attention to your teacher in class. Children struggle with that, knowing the time and place. Children also struggle with what they're doing, right? Well, they did this to me, so they hit me, so I'm going to hit them. They said this to me, so I'm going to say this to them. The sad thing is, some of us still haven't grown up. We still say things when we shouldn't say them. Well, we have an excuse. They said it to me. We still do things at the wrong time or in the wrong place. The children of Israel were not keeping the Sabbath day holy. So what did Nehemiah do? The end of verse 15, he said, And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. That was their food. Now notice, this is very interesting. They were also, not only were they profaning the Sabbath, but they were allowing other people who were not followers of God. Verse 16, there dwelt men of Tyre. These were not people who followed God. They were also therein which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Well, we shouldn't be selling things on the Sabbath day, but we can buy something from someone else as long as they're not a follower of God making excuses, trying to work around God's laws. Verse 17, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Now, I could be wrong, but I highly doubt that the nobles, the leaders, sat down and said, We're going to do something really evil. We're going to have a market where people can buy and sell and get some food on the Sabbath day. Let's make this evil plan and let's put it together. That's generally not how things start out. 
So why does Nehemiah now come in and say, why have you done this evil thing? Well, because it was evil. Now, I could be wrong, but I really don't think they started out intending to do evil things. They just were being pragmatic. Hey, people want to eat on the Sabbath. These people aren't Jews. They don't have to follow God's law, so they can come in and they, and they can sell things to us on the Sabbath. And you know what? We, we've been really busy. In fact, the harvest has been so great this year, so we're going to have to spend some extra work harvesting on the Sabbath day because we couldn't get it all done the rest of the week. In fact, I don't know if they said this. I'm taking a little bit of artistic license here. But in fact, God has blessed us so much that we don't have time to worship God on the Sabbath day because we have to go out and take care of all of the blessings that He's given us. I don't know what they said. But I do know that they made choices to put their own personal gain ahead of the worship of God and the commandments of God on the Sabbath day. Verse 18, did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us? Nehemiah reminds me, he says, your, your parents did the same thing. They didn't keep the Sabbath day holy, and God judged them as well. Why would you go back and do the same thing as them? I've sat in many conversations with young people telling me in tears, how sad they are about choices their parents are making. Only then, five or six or ten years later, to see those young people make the same choices with their lives. Parents, we must take care about the choices that we make. Do as I say, not as I do, right? It doesn't work that way. In fact, generally they do what you do and not what you say. So what was his response? He said, Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Verse 19, And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut. Nehemiah says, We're closing the gates. We're not letting anybody in or out because this is more important that we worship God, that we do things God's way than do things our way that the gates should not be opened up till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates, that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now it doesn't specifically say this, but it's interesting that he had to put his own servants at the gate. So Nehemiah seemed like perhaps he was concerned that, yes, we locked the gates, but I better put my servants there so they don't take bribes and let things in the gates that shouldn't be coming in the gates. Again, I think this points back to Nehemiah was looking for faithful people to be in their place. Because isn't it easy even spiritually to sometimes make it look like everything's good? I got my gates shut up, you know. I dressed up sharp for church today. Everything's good. But on the side, taking those spiritual bribes, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. I'll allow this... this this little side thing, as long as it benefits me, I'll allow this to go on. That's the kind of problems that were taking place. And so what happened here? He said in verse 20, So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. So he locks up the gates. He, 
keeps the people from coming in. So now they're like, well, we'll just hang out around the, around the outside of the wall. We don't know exactly what was happening here, but perhaps, you know, we'll pass a rope down over the wall. You can raise something up to me in my basket. We'll, we'll pitch something up over, you know. They, they're still trying to buy and sell and profane the Sabbath. And this is not just the people who weren't followers of God doing this. The children of Israel were complicit in this. Oh, that Nehemiah, he's so strict. Always locking us down. Got to spend all day following God. I mean, we don't have to be at the temple all day. Let's do some other things. God said, no, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's the Lord's day all day. Well, come on, doesn't he understand? So they lodge around the Without, he says, lodged without once or twice. But what did Nehemiah do? Verse 21, Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? And Nehemiah, he, he gets fired up sometimes. He says, If ye do so, again I will lay hands on you. <laughs> Get out of here. Stop trying to tempt the people to go back and do wrong. This is the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we're closing the gates. We're keeping the people in. We want everybody out of here. We want everybody out of the way that's not interested in worshiping God because God and His worship is the most important thing that we're going to do. He puts that stake in the ground, so to speak, and says, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to remove every other distraction from doing what God wants us to do on this day. Now, the Sabbath commands are not repeated for us in the New Testament the way they were for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. But God still wants us to worship Him and Him alone. That has not changed. In fact, we're not even worshiping on the Sabbath today, are we? Because the Sabbath is Saturday and we're worshiping on Sunday because Jesus rose again on Sunday and the New Testament church came together and worshiped God on Sunday. So that's all wonderful things. So if you go home today and you have to, you know, swing by and get some food somewhere. I don't think that you're disobeying the commands of Scripture from what he's saying here. Don't get me wrong. But what God is teaching us is that we must value the worship of Him and not fill up all the time when we should be worshiping God with a bunch of other stuff that may be good things. It might be family. It might be friends. It might be just taking care of stuff that I need to take care of, but putting a priority and saying, this is God and I'm going to worship Him. He's given me lots of time to take care of my needs, but I'm going to make sure I take some time to worship Him. There's a priority on worship. There's a priority on being faithful to who God is. And it's so easy to let other things creep in and just take a little bit here and there. It's kind of just nibbles. You ever thrown like a loaf of bread into a, a pond where there's a bunch of fish? And at first, just to, you know, nibbles around the edge. The loaf of bread still is pretty much whole. But you leave it very, very long there, and pretty soon the whole thing's gone. At first, it doesn't look like there's much of an issue, but pretty quickly, it's completely eaten up. And when it comes to worshiping God, when it comes to following Him, when it comes to obedience to God and walking with Him, 
it is very important that we protect our time with God. We don't let anything else take priority above God, whether it's some other relationship, even though other relationships are important. Whether it's some personal need that needs to be worked through. I mean, these guys were out threshing their grain and gathering in their sheep, doing good things. But they allowed it to take the place of the worship of God. And very quickly when that happens, every time, not only does worship suffer, then obedience suffers, then the blessing goes away and pretty soon people are living far from God and facing awful, unintended consequences. So what did he do? He commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves. Sanctify yourself, that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. You see back in verse 31 of Nehemiah chapter 10, He's, the people, it said, and if the people of the land bring wear any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath day or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. This was their promise. We're not going to buy from anybody. We're not going to you know, take anything that would take away from God. I wrote it this way. We must honor what God says to honor. Working on the Sabbath day at this time was against God's commandment. Buying and selling on the Sabbath day was prohibited. They were to honor the seventh day and the seventh year. These were all part of God's plan. But when they saw an opportunity to make some money or to do something that they wanted to do, they quickly forgot about God's commands or the consequences of disobeying God. It's just a small thing. It's just a little thing. The children of Israel experienced great blessings when they walked in obedience and honored God's ways. But when they did things their own ways and elevated profit over obedience and work over worship, they experienced the punishment for God no longer having the priority in their lives. Sometimes we think, well, I've made this calculated decision. I know what God says, but He's going to understand that I do this one little thing right now because I need to do it. I, I'm in a pinch or I have this problem or this needs to be done first. Can I say this nicely? You have no clue what you're missing out on. The people failed to support the temple even though they promised to. The people failed to keep the Sabbath even though they had promised to. God used Nehemiah to bring the people back to himself. But Nehemiah was concerned about his legacy. That's why he kept praying to God, Remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah was and he will continue to be remembered for his faithfulness, won't he? There's a whole book in the Bible with his name on it. And we, while we acknowledge he was not a perfect man, because there was only one perfect man, that was Jesus, God in human flesh. Yet we remember Nehemiah for his faithfulness. The children of Israel, not so much. 
In spite of their failure, though, think about this. This is the wonderful part. In spite of their failure, God still fulfilled His plan. Jesus still came to earth. He still grew up, lived the perfect life, still died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. The answer to our problems is not, well, we just got to try harder and be more faithful, do better than we did before, because that's a very me-focused and it's a very frustrating place to live. And even though we can try our best, the Bible says it this way, that all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can't try hard enough to please God. Even though we know we should, and we ought to make the right choices, and if we make the wrong ones, we're going to have unintended consequences. But the answer is not just, well, I better try harder. Thanks, Pastor, for reminding me about the danger of bad choices today. I better make right choices. Sometimes that's kind of what we boil our Christianity down to, isn't it? And the problem with that is that won't carry you through this week. I can almost guarantee it at some point, someday, some moment this week, you're going to slip up and you're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to do the wrong thing. And you go, oh, I messed up again. That's a terrible place to live because it's like a spiritual roller coaster. Yeah, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, at least Saturday, you know, I can get some things done around the house and I don't have to argue with those people again. Sunday! And then it back down. Some people live that way and it's very frustrating. And a lot of people eventually on that roller coaster after a long time, they finally just say, you know what, I'm getting off the roller coaster altogether. I don't have time for this religion thing anymore. I'm not going to worry about it. Why? Because that's a, that's a man-centered, human-being-centered type of religion. There's no long-term success in it. A few people, maybe, just maybe, are more disciplined than somebody else, and they just seem to have it together. But the reality is even those that seem like they have it together, they probably don't have it together either. And so you got to hold churches full of fake people that just walk around, yeah, everything's good, it's great, and glory to God. And, and then they go back and they go through all the same struggles and everything goes on. See, the answer wasn't more discipline, even though we need more discipline. The answer even wasn't faithfulness, even though we all need to be more faithful. The answer for the children of Israel, just like the answer for us, is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You see, God, even though the children of Israel, even after you finish the book of Nehemiah and chronologically, so in the Old Testament, some of the prophets and the things are in, in different orders and they're grouped more about around genre than they are chronologically. So after Nehemiah, you really, if you want to read chronologically, you need to jump like to Malachi. That was the order of things. And you go right to Malachi and they failed again. So what's the hope? We need more Nehemiahs. Nope, because Nehemiah didn't save the people. Our hope is not more Nehemiahs. Our hope is more Jesus. And understanding the grace of God that forgives us of our sin. It's not an excuse to stay in our sin. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, no, no. But the answer is not try harder. The answer is humble yourselves before God and He will lift you up.
confess your faults one to another and be healed. Confess your sin for He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just like in spite of the failures of the children of Israel, God's plan is still fulfilled. In spite of your failures, God's plan will still be fulfilled. But as you walk in faithful obedience to God, there is such a blessing that comes in that relationship with God that's so encouraging and helpful. And it's, it really does help. Over time, you will find, if you will continually confess your sin to God, continue to walk with God, even though you're going to mess up maybe a thousand times, over time, it becomes sweeter and sweeter as you become closer and closer to God. And you will find that those things you used to struggle with, you don't struggle with quite as much anymore. And you will find that the sins that you used to just feel like you were almost running towards, you don't run to them quite like you used to anymore. And instead of just enjoying the pleasures of this world, you begin to enjoy the pleasures of a personal relationship with God more and more. It does work that way. Not just because that's how it is, but that's because how the Bible says it is. Our Heavenly Father, we see these people in this passage that failed to keep their promises. They made choices that resulted in unintended consequences. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would be in our place, that we would walk faithfully with You in obedience. Lord, help us more than anything else to acknowledge our need for dependence upon You. We need You, Lord. We can't do this alone. The answer is not a better organization. The answer is not trying harder. The answer is not a better leader. The answer is only found in you. Help us, Lord, to understand that and to walk in that truth so when we do fail this week, we would come right back to you like a child to his father. Ask you for forgiveness and strength to continue on. Lord, help us to do our best, to purpose in our hearts to walk faithfully with you. And Lord, we pray that as each person here commits to a closer walk with you, that together we would better worship, be able to worship you better, be able to serve you better, be able to give more, be able to do more for your kingdom. Lord, we know that begins through a personal relationship with you. And Father, if there's somebody here today that doesn't have that personal relationship with you, I pray that they'd give their life to you, knowing that they will never regret a life given in service to God. Lord, help us to be honest about our sin and about our mistakes and to be humble before you this morning. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The piano is going to take a moment to play a song, and as it plays, as God is working in your heart, if I can pray with you, I will. If you want to pray with somebody else, do that. If you need to just pray there in your seat, do what you need to do and be alone with God. 
Make sure you're right with God this morning. There's nothing better in all the world than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.